0: All right. Welcome to episode 19 of Enterprise Eyeballs, where we talk about humanizing the B2B world. Today, our guest is John Kazarian. He's the founder and CEO of Excel Events, an event technology pla- uh, platform for every type of event you're hosting. Uh, John, thank you so much for coming on the show.
1: Yeah, Andrew. Thanks for having me on.
0: So one of the things that caught my eye was uh, on your on the About on LinkedIn uh, you know, it says events are hard enough. We're on a mission to help organizers get some sleep the night before their event. So in your tagline, you're talking about the person, the organizer, not about the technology, not about the business results. Uh, I love that. We know that's what works. That's what this show is about. Can you tell me a little bit, uh, you know, about Excel events and how you started building, why you started building?
1: Yeah, it's funny that you picked up on on that particular point when I got on the call and I told you I was... Uh Caught off guard because I saw a competitor running a campaign with basically that same slogan that I've been preaching for over a year. Uh, <laughs> you're pushing my buttons here on a Friday afternoon, but yeah, in terms of in terms of how I I got started on that path, went down that path, I um, I kind of started hosting events since college, and in 2014, my cousin at the age of um, age of 17 got diagnosed with cancer. So I wanted to do something for her and realized, frankly, that the thing I could do that would raise the most money would be to host a big event. So I went down to the aquarium in Boston where I was living at the time. I put my credit card down and I rented out the whole space. And uh, I had to sell 185 tickets for that first event, basically, to be able to pay my credit card bill and make sure my credit score didn't get slammed. Ended up getting 840 people to show up to that first event, but going into it, Realized that there was just there was there was no good technology to run the auction of the raffle. Everything that was out there was either like crazy expensive or just was not good and uh that was like my first realization of where there was some significant gaps in event tech and then and then on the day of the event, we had about a hundred people on our wait list, and the event registration provider we were using just it failed us uh nobody could get off the wait list, which cost cost the organization, Dana Farber Cancer Institute. About ten grand that we could have brought in for them, and this was just such a personal event to me. I was, you know, devastated seeing this thing just fall apart for no reason. Um, and and at that point, you know, hosted the event. Everything went really well in terms of actually running the event, and so did this technology that we ended up throwing together, building to facilitate the the fundraising component. And decided that I was going to build a business around. Creating technology that makes life easier for event organizers, that helps event organizers sleep the night before their event so that they don't have to go through the pain and misery that that I felt in preparation for that first event. So that was sort of the beginning of of the journey for us. and for f- almost five years, i was I was building this nights and weekends while working another job, and we continued to expand, continue to focus more heavily on for-profit businesses, sort of moved away from the fundraising world. And then March of 2020 came. And at that point, our world just collapsed. Uh, everything i had been building for 5 years just evaporated overnight. And the, well, the, the fortunate part was that I had this belief that technology was going to continue to play a bigger and bigger role in events. So we were going down this path of building for a hybrid future already. And we just, we just went all in on that. And uh, you know, worked out well for us. We, we took our revenue from 375K in 2019 to uh, 3.4 million in 2020 by making this pivot, focusing on, on virtual events, focusing on the B2B space, and just really helping organizations to, to, to deliver, deliver ROI from their, from their events, to deepen their relationships with their partners. And, uh, and, and that's been our focus ever since.
0: That's really cool. Really cl- cool story. So one thing I want to zoom in on is the timeline. So you were building on the side for five years. How far was that five years before 2020 or where does 2020 fall in that timeline?
1: Yeah. So that first event was November of 2014. Okay. And I, I filed incorporation payments on uh, papers on January 15th, 2015. Nice. Yeah.
0: Nice. Well, that's really interesting, and it makes perfect sense. You started with a human story, your own experience, experience with your cousin, uh, and that's where you were building the problems you were building to solve. And then you took that experience, the the traction you'd built, um, you know, to that point, and transferred it to the B two B world with the inflection point of COVID. Everybody going remote. Obviously, you made the, a great strategic decision, but I'm sure the, you know, that message and the human piece of it as part of your DNA is what helped you win as everybody was pivoting in that direction.
1: Yeah. Well, I I mean, that's one of the things I've just always loved about events is that they they are human. It's human-to-human connection. It's the most pure form of it. And uh, yes, technology is there to assist and play a role and help us find the right people to be spending our time with. But at the end of the day, it's all just there as a facilitator for people to be people.
0: That's really, really interesting. So tell me about a little bit where you guys are now. Obviously, it's been a couple of years since that uh, that point where COVID dominated every conversation the way we were all thinking. Where are you guys today and and what are you mostly focused on?
1: Yeah. So today we're, we're mostly focused on uh, B2B events and, and associations uh, in terms of the experiences. I mean, it's, it's across the gamut. We Where we get brought into a company is really to consolidate and bring all of their event technology needs under, under one roof. So they essentially have this connected experience platform where they can facilitate their webinars, their virtual events, their hybrid events, their in-person events, their field marketing events all in one platform and be able to really understand their attendees and their intending experiences across all of those different, all of those different channels and then feed that to grow the business, whether it be pushing it over to the sales team to act upon that information or just to help generate content and awareness for a given brand. I mean, everybody's preaching about it today, but I'm in full agreement as well. The way that B2B businesses are gonna win in the future is by being media companies in themselves.
0: And you're an important piece of that puzzle if you you can connect all those things, especially big companies where silos happen almost automatically. Uh, regardless of how hard they try to, to break them down
1: yeah well the other thing is a lot of these bigger companies the marketing people desperately want to get the executives to be generating content and the executives don't always have as much interest in doing that but they will speak at events and you can take a speaking engagement and turn that into like three months worth of content
0: Definitely, uh, I, I've seen that play out in our world, and uh, it's the best way to do it. Um, one of the wonderful things about this podcast is we can repurpose all the the fun ideas that come out of it in, in a million different ways. Uh, so that's awesome. Huge power in that. Um, I'm curious, thinking about your journey. Obviously, uh, the pandemic being uh, an inflection point for your business, it's interesting. You know, you needed uh technology for remote events that's the direction you guys went but there's another shift that happened that we've noticed with some of the products we've built is that the threshold or general uh you know, tolerance of the average person for using B2B software is just so much higher than it used to be because oh, we've yeah. had to use so many more tools uh, just over the last two years. But the timing is right for all these softwares that were being built in the in the 20 teens, um, where maybe the audience just wasn't ready for uh, to be a software user or software buyer. I imagine that event people really fell into that category of people that just had a lot of resistance to buying a platform.
1: Yeah. And and the other thing that's interesting about the event space, and I was actually having this conversation a couple of hours ago with with our VP of product, is that you're buying an enterprise-grade solution that has to have a consumer-facing experience to it because you're putting it in front of, of your attendees, your registrants. And um, that's not the case with a CRM or your you know, even your billing system, the amount of the experience that the buyer even interfaces with is maybe three percent of the platform versus fifty percent of the experience when it comes to an event management solution or at least a virtual event management solution so yes, that shift towards a consumer grade experience is uh is very relevant today and uh, that's something that goes into the way that we think about building and designing our platform because as we talked about before, we want to be building technology that makes life easier for event organizers.
0: It's interesting. You bring up experience. You know, uh, I ran a UX studio for 10 years. It's something very important to my, <laughs> to my product building worldview. Um, most event software sucks. Like most of the online events I go to, it's just a nightmare. I honestly don't know how we end up at the right place. Um, you know, there's a lot of competitors in your space. What do you think it is that has set you guys apart in being able to create consistently good experiences for everybody using your platform?
1: Yeah, there's a lot of competitors in our space, but a lot of those have popped up as a result of the pandemic from folks who have never actually run an event before. So I think having been in that experience and built a team of people that were either running events or working at event tech companies that really get the intricacies. They get the sense of urgency. I mean, marketers come up with a marketing plan and they start out today and they build their agenda forward from there, right? Event planners do the opposite. They say, I'm going to host an event on this date. Now let me work backwards from there. It's just a very different way of approaching and thinking, thinking about things. And I just think that uh, having come from that world, I, I, I think it resonates better because we get it and we've we've built around that mantra and we operate with that sense of urgency. I mean, in the, in the world of events, you spend three months building an experience that culminates in, you know, sometimes only three hours. You don't have even 10 minutes to wait for a response when you need help. And that sense of urgency, it carries through into the way we design products, but also the way we support our customers. Our median response time on, on chat support is 26 seconds and it's 24, seven,
0: That's awesome. Those incredible numbers and uh, I'm, I'm sure that's taken a huge investment from your team.
1: Yeah, it has. And we could have invested in marketing, but uh, we chose that the place we needed to invest in was was supporting our customers, being a partner to them, being there for them. And yeah, it's got a couple of added benefits. It leads to great you know, referral, word of mouth marketing for us. But it also means that our customers treat us like a partner and we learn from them because they know that they're not just submitting a ticket. We don't even do tickets. They're interacting with a real person. We don't do bots either. And that they're going to be heard. And often that they're going to see an immediate change from whatever feedback or suggestion they have. So we've learned from that really quickly and we've been able to iterate really quickly and we've built a culture around it.
0: That's really cool. Uh, really admirable. I think, uh, Something that, uh, you've got my wheels turning on. Uh, we're, we also have great support, really proud of uh, the relationships we have with our customers, but our response time is nowhere near 26 seconds. It's a slightly different world, but, um, there it is. It's just cool to know that someone's doing it and someone cares in that way in a, in a big enterprise platform.
1: Yeah. It it has to start from the very beginning. If for the five years, when I was building this business, I had, a, I had a co-founder for the first couple of years, uh, still a really good friend of mine, but him and I would literally... We would alternate who was going on date night on a given Friday or Saturday night so that the other one of us would be able to, to respond to support. I mean, there was times I remember pulling over on, on, on uh, the side of the highway to respond to customers on a Friday night. And as we started to make additional hires and grow the team... I think they just, they saw the way that we operated and the culture that we built and, um, and it expanded from there, it became a standard. Cool.
0: And I'm sure you're still looking at uh, those conversations all the time. That's something I love to peek at is just what's going on. What are people asking for? Because our support people are great, but when you're dealing with it face-to-face with the customer, you might not have an eye on the trends that are happening or the things that are popping up.
1: Yeah, that's so true. I mean, we don't, we don't think about our team as support. We think about it as, as a, when we call it customer experience, because it is fundamentally a part of the experience that we're delivering for our customers. And ultimately, like our, our customers, customer is also a customer of ours, right? They're interacting and experiencing our platform as well. It's our biggest referral source because every attendee is a possible co- potential customer for us. Um, and yeah, it's just it's, it's it's how we operate. But to your to your point around like jumping in on those conversations, yeah, I you know, I try to chat with a customer every day like this face to face, and then also monitor the the chat as much as possible.
0: Very cool. So you know we deal a lot in the world of uh, channel sales, getting the attention of channel reps. Uh, you know we help, we help channel marketers. A lot of the folks we know uh, and work with do events of all kinds. You've hit on the fact that you guys can handle any event they're dealing with, but I'm curious to learn more. How do you see uh, you know, channel marketers mixing it up with events? Uh, do you see a, a mix of different types of events? What are some of the best practices you've seen in terms of people that are really leveraging uh, your platform to do the most they can?
1: Yeah, When What I've observed is that in most cases with channel marketers, they're thinking about events from the perspective of either attending, participating at an event, or exhibiting at an event. Often, they're not thinking about... And those are often industry events. They're not thinking about how they can be hosting their own events in order to deepen those relationships. And at the end of the day, when you're building those relationships, you're building an ecosystem, right? If you can be that source of of content and source of community that brings people together and attends your event, be it virtually or in person. And then you can offer up value to your partners. You can drive leads to them in that, in that way. You can create exposure opportunities for them. They're going to return the favor. And we're seeing a lot of companies that are starting to realize this and have success with it. I think in part because virtual does lower the barrier to entry. It makes it more affordable uh, to to essentially run that test. So let me run this virtual event or a series of virtual events. Let me see if I can get my partners to participate in this. And let me see how, what I can drive from, from an attendance perspective. And once I've done that and I've proven that out, not just to my organization, not just to my attendees, but also to those partners, I know that they're going to commit and they're going to invest the money to fly out to and set up a booth at wherever it is that I host an in-person event.
0: That's really interesting. I like the idea of experimentation. It makes a lot of sense too, right? Because by its nature, the ecosystem, the channel is distributed. So yeah. you're asking a lot of people to take a risk on your first event. So the lower barrier to entry makes sense. And then the ability to prove yourself with something small, that makes sense too, because we're yeah. all picking and choosing which events we go to, why, uh, you know, you're planning your budget for the entire year of, of uh, traveling and event of adventure. Um I saw your post earlier today on LinkedIn about speakers and if you're hosting an event, should you be focused on the speaker, the audience, both? You had some really interesting thoughts about that. I'll let you uh, take it from there.
1: So I, I I posted earlier today talking about how if you're trying to build relationships with the C-suite, inviting them to attend your event is not going to get anywhere, right? I mean, I get I get emails every day of people inviting me to their events. The ones I respond oh, you, to is when they ask me to. to speak. My event? sorry. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. But no, what I do is when I get invited to speak, because it's a great opportunity for me. Right. And often it's brands I'm not even aware of, but when they reach out, then I start to learn their story. And if you think about like an ABM approach, this is a great angle that event organizers can take to figure out how can I start a relationship with somebody by purely giving them value and not asking for anything in return. And now you're creating really hours of opportunity to interact and speak with this person and learn about their, their needs, learn about how you can help them and they're finding out about you and your story. So that's a really strong channel and we're seeing uh growing adoption of that. The one thing I do want to caution people with, and I would say this is particularly true in the in the case of virtual. In the beginning days of of the move to virtual, there was a reluctance towards virtual exhibiting. I think... There's a number of reasons and I'll I'll spare you the time on that right now as to why that wasn't as successful as it could have been for a lot of folks. Ton of companies had massive success with it. And frankly, for us, it was, it actually drove 25% of our revenue for over a year. But the, the caution is that, you know, what's kind of happened is, 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 Companies have moved away from the exhibiting model in order to provide value to sponsors and instead they've offered speaker engagements and what I see far too often is they don't prepare and vet those speakers sufficiently and then you've got this speaker coming up on stage they haven't treated your event with the same level of, of, of care that you treat your event with and you're ultimately putting content forward. That isn't where it needs to be. And that's how you lose your audience. That's how your, your audience knows right away when somebody is just there because they paid to be there, not because you invited them, not because it was an exclusive or something that you know they need to hear about. And that, that you just be careful with the sponsored content on that side of things.
0: That's really interesting. I mean, I've been at those events. I've seen the, oh, yep, they paid. I've had yep. that feeling. But i've never been in the position of vetting those people uh what are what are some of the tips to to vet and make sure they're going to be a good fit
1: yeah uh do they have a deck in advance have you done a dry run with them what other material have they done Be it podcast other speaking engagements have you seen them participating at this i mean there's some easy ways to find publicly available content that they've done before and also when it comes to inviting those folks to speak you know if a company says hey We like to to pay to have somebody speak at this event. You have the opportunity to figure out, okay, who from that company is the person that we want to speak. Right? You own the experience that you're creating, so figure out who's the person that's going to put the right experience on.
0: Makes sense to me. So I want to loop back on that invite strategy, uh, getting in with the C suite. My listeners are sick of hearing about my obsession with touch points because we know you need so many touch points to uh, be top of mind, make something happen with, with somebody that you're trying to get in front of. The thing that uh, we specialize in and, and the reason that Incentive Pilot works is because those touch points are interesting. It's not just 20 touch points of the same bullshit. It's 20 different touch points that add value, are interesting, catch your attention, stand out. And so, I love the idea of of using a speaking engagement to get, I mean, five or ten of those touch points easy, and it's in a context that puts uh, the person that uh, you know you're trying to work with uh, on a pedestal and and kind of honoring what they do, which uh, is something that we all appreciate. So I think that's a really cool and interesting perspective. Um,
1: Yeah, I'll I'll add to that one strategy. I mentioned this uh, mentioned this in the post on LinkedIn earlier today, but. One strategy goes back to that idea that marketing professionals want the C-suite to be generating more content. So instead of always going directly to the person that you want to be speaking at your event, go to their director of demand gen, go to their content marketing people and say, hey, we would love to have your VP of marketing come speak at our event or your VP of whatever it might be and have them sell on your behalf and tell them about how you're gonna give them the video assets and all of this other marketing collateral and all the exposure that's gonna show how much of a thought leader your executive is. And then again, have them sell on your behalf internally.
0: That's awesome. That's a, some great advice. Um, who doesn't want you know someone else to do their job for them? That sounds great. At least some days, maybe some Friday afternoons. Yeah. So, John, tell me about, uh, you know, I get that it's a you know the platform has a, a ton of breadth. There's so much functionality in there. What are some of the things that you're really proud of? You know, maybe they're not even, uh, you know, the things that are used the most, but you've been building a long time and you've been building to spot, solve really specific problems. I know what that's like with a the product. There are little dark corners of our product that, uh, you know, I'm super proud of no one ever looks at. What are some of the things that you guys have built that you think are just so cool?
1: Yeah. Before I even say anything product-related, I, I have to go back to the experience that we create for our customers. Uh, the thing I'm most proud of is the culture that we've built around about being there and delivering for our customers. Um, that's, what, you know, that's what keeps us going every day. And the opportunities that we create for our customers to create experiences for their audience is, is awesome. Uh, from a technology perspective, I'm like a self-taught tech geek. For like four years, my favorite email every week was the AWS release notes. So, um, but now I'm like hooked on all these demand gen LinkedIn posts and podcasts. Um, but it's really, it's, it's actually not the things that you see. It's the infrastructure behind it all. It's the reliability of a platform. And when you're talking about a platform where you have tens of thousands of attendees online at the same time. There's a lot of engineering and infrastructure that goes into creating something that's reliable. So again, it's it's often not the things that meet the eye. It's what we've done to make sure that that's going to be there and deliver for you because at the end of the day, that's, that's the number one thing that matters, right? The platform has to be available. You can't have a line of 500 people trying to check into your event that can't get in or you can't have a virtual event that the website goes down or the video doesn't stream. It has to be there to deliver for you.
0: Yep. Has to meet and exceed those expectations every right. time. Um, and you're always building to that moment because it's all live. So that makes total sense. Um, I was going to ask you, obviously the pandemic influenced your growth, but you guys have had insane growth way more than just, just a push in the right direction. Can you talk a little bit about the strategies you use to, you know, accelerate and support that growth?
1: Yeah, um, we actually didn't invest particularly heavily in marketing, but naturally we run events because we're an event company, which is a good channel for us. We also have a, a natural product-led motion, right? Because somebody's attending an event for two days on our platform, staring at our logo, it's great exposure for us. So uh, for us, it's you know it's primarily been word of mouth, which is a result of a great product and and, and great support, and then it's. It's delivering events that bring people together within the community, give them an opportunity to interact and learn from each other. Um, structuring those events not around our product, but structuring them around content that we can deliver for our audience, things that it's interesting to them that they're gonna learn from. Uh, certainly we do host you know events about our product. We do product launch events for existing customers, but that's a you know a subset of of where we're using that channel.
0: Very cool. So What's next for you guys? What are you really excited about? Uh, you know, moving into Q4 and, and next year.
1: Yeah. So what I'm what I'm most excited about right now is the way that uh, the way that event tech is getting adopted as a major staple of Martech of the ecosystem within a company. And even today, over sixty percent of our enterprise deals have marketing ops involved in the procurement process asking those questions about how is this going to interact with the rest of their systems. And then just this week at Dreamforce, uh, Salesforce announced this new product, Genie, which basically allows all of the different data systems to come together in real time through Snowflake or another data lake and power a real-time suggestion engine. Not just suggestion engine, but an engine to, to help empower organizations to do so much more with all of this data that they're, they're getting their hands on. And events are just this this really unique mechanism for capturing first-party data in a world, a time where we know that third-party data is not as, as useful as it used to be. But events, again, are something where people are willing to give up their, their time, their money, their registration data, their cookie tracking, all in exchange for access to your content and your community. And with all that information flowing into the rest of your CDP and your CRM, It's gonna empower information and experiences that result in better outcomes for businesses and better experiences for attendees.
0: That's interesting. So uh, is the data go beyond what you just mentioned or are we just talking about reliable data in that context and that's something fresh?
1: It's the insights that are gonna be gained from that. So I could give you an example. Let's just say you're a company like HubSpot. Since I I just picked on Salesforce, I'll give them a shout. HubSpot has the CRM product, the service product, the the um, marketing suite. Well, let's just say you're a customer and you're using the CRM product right now. But I host a customer event. I notice that you're checking out a whole bunch of sessions related to things that we can do with our service product. Well, that can trigger me to say, hey, there's an upsell opportunity here. Maybe this customer who's not currently using our service tool is up in a renewal cycle with their other vendor. We should consider whether or not... Or we should have a conversation with them and see if there's an opportunity to, to you know, put a bundled package together for them.
0: Very cool. Now, that's really interesting. And so,
1: those are things you're not getting from a, you know, a, a white paper download or an ebook download. You get a single point in time piece of information. This person downloaded this paper, right? With the world of events, you know how engaged somebody was or is, you know what questions they're asking. So, you get a lot more information out of it.
0: You know what rooms they're in, you know what sponsors they're checking out. Very cool, yeah. that's all really interesting. Hadn't thought about any of that before. So John, you're an expert in the world of events and or uh, event software, um, maybe an expert in video games. Are you ready to play Tap to Flat?
1: I am ready to play, but I am by no means an expert in video games.
0: All right, well, if you could click that link in the chat and share your screen, I'm gonna set the timer for one minute if you, you can use the up arrow key as we identified earlier, or you can click, but uh, we're gonna try to get your highest score in a minute. If you get a game over, just click or tap again to reset the game and we'll get your your uh, highest score from the session. You ready to try All it right. Out? Yeah, oh, he's going, i am starting in a minute.
1: All right. Did we start? Just,
0: yeah, click again, go for it.
1: Oh, this is not going well for me.
0: That's all right. It doesn't go well for a lot of our <laughs> guests. Tap to Flaps highly addictive, really hard to do, and that's why it works so well in uh, getting attention with channel partners because they want to play every day and uh, talk some crap to their teammates.
1: Uh, What's the high and, score here? I know I'm not uh, setting it
0: on the podcast. It's it's in the teens uh, amongst our team and and across our product, it's in the hundreds. It's wild. Really? Yeah. All right, five. You're doing great. That's good. Yeah. For a first timer? Absolutely. Can we can we slow this down at all? No way. <laughs>
1: it's the starting, that's the hardest part.
0: It is. 10 seconds left. A couple Uh-oh. clicks in the beginning usually is what you need.
1: Oh, Yo, you're right. There it is you. a lot easier with the mouse. I, I should have used that instead of the space No case.
0: worries. All right, that's the end of your minute, but all hey, right. five, nothing to sneeze at. Uh you're about in the middle of the leaderboard, I'll have to, I never pull it up when we're recording. I really need to reference it uh, so I can tell you exactly where you landed. But thanks for being a good sport. Um, John, where can people find you? Uh, I see you on LinkedIn. Is there uh, the uh, best place to reach out to you?
1: Yeah, LinkedIn's the, uh, the spot to be. I'm posting daily about everything that... Uh... Everything that has to do with events and, uh, and demand gen, uh, you can also head over to our website, check out that chat. As promised, we will respond in less than 30 seconds. If we don't, then you have to find me on LinkedIn and tell me about it
0: yeah and tell me too, because i I don't know about this. No, I'm just kidding it's uh,
1: really, I can show you the stats.
0: <laughs> really impressive figure and uh and really inspirational. I think it's awesome. So John, thanks for coming on the show. I hope you'll join us in the future, uh, you know, maybe when you grow uh, another six thousand percent in eight months.
1: would love to come back. take care.